Hello and welcome to People of Note on this Sunday evening. I'm Richard Cock and you're listening to Classic 1027. In this program, we always have a person of note and we listen to music of their choice. And my guest tonight is Mona Golubek, who's an American concert pianist and author. Welcome. Thank you so much. Very nice to have you on the program. And you're in South Africa for a very particular reason. So perhaps you should just set the scene first and then we can hear the story. I'm here to share the story of my mother's life. Her name was Lisa Yura. She was the most amazing mother. And she taught me the piano. She would always tell me that each piece of music tells a story. When I was a little girl, in those piano lessons, in between the Bach and the Beethoven, she told me the story of her life. She told me about a train ride. She told me about a character named Johnny King Kong who read poetry to her at nighttime when the bombs came down. Then we would continue in the Beethoven or the Bach, and out of nowhere she'd say, well, what about when Aaron whistled the Grieg piano concerto? Dee-da-da-da-da. I thought, wow, who were these people? Who were these mysterious characters? Many, many years later, I was engaged to play the Grieg piano concerto myself. This was the piece of her dream that she had dreamed about making her debut in when she grew up in Vienna. Uh, And um, I woke up the next morning and I thought, wow, this is the piece. I thought maybe I could get her story out. I thought if I could, you know, get a book published, do something to bring this to the world that I could inspire so many, especially young people, to the messages of her life. And here is, in fact, uh, the Grieg Piano Concerto, the piece that inspired you the first moment. Here it comes. That was part of the Piano Concerto in A minor for piano and orchestra by Edward Grieg, the choice of Mona Golubek, who's my guest in People of Note tonight. You mentioned this train ride. Just give us the, the background to that train ride, why it had to happen in the first place, and where it was from and where it was going. I really believe that the train ride, or what we know is uh, the kinder transport, the children's trains, which was an extraordinary rescue operation, was born out of Kristallnacht, which was one of the most devastating uh, nights to sweep across Europe for the Jewish people. Uh, You know, temples were burned, Jews were arrested, um, Torahs were burned. And coming out of that horrible night, I think the Jewish people knew it was really quite terrible, and there was a desperation to get out of Europe to uh, be rescued from the Nazis. And in England, this amazing rescue operation came into play between British Jews and British Christians who pressured the government to provide hostels and homes and uh, places where young Jewish children could be brought and placed until, God willing, they would be reunited with their families. But then there was this other part of the rescue operation, which were the trains. And to get a spot on that train, families were desperate all through Europe. And it was my grandfather, who was a wonderful tailor in Vienna and no longer could work. He would go out every night and gamble to try to make something for the family or whatnot. I'm not quite sure the story, really, because uh, we're n- we all in the family are not quite sure, but he came back one night and was able to procure a spot in the line to be able to get one of those tickets. And my mother told me how night after night her parents would argue over who would they choose 
because there were three daughters and they only had one ticket. So my mother would always go to the piano, not to hear the arguing. And very often she would go to the piano and play the Claire de Lune of Debussy. And that's what we're going to hear next. Claire de Lune by Claude Debussy. I'm talking to Mona Golabek, who is in South Africa doing a concert tour and talking about the book that you wrote. It's called The Children of Wilsdon Lane. I've got a few questions. The first is, why were only children on this train? Why did the parents not go with them? That's my first question. And uh, secondly, did they travel the whole width of Europe on their own, or who was looking after them on the train? Right. This rescue operation was strictly for children. There would be no capacity or ability to bring the families, uh, the full families, and very often in families they had to choose uh, one child. There were only 10,000 children saved in the entire operation. It ran for six months, I believe, from December 1938, and the last train, I believe, ended in June 1939, really a little bit before the war was declared. And um, these children went alone on the trains. Uh, Some of the ages were as young as, well, there were some babies, infants, that were carried by a, a sibling or whatnot. Um, But generally speaking, we are talking children from six years old, maybe to around 15 or 16. Uh, They were all alone. You can imagine the trauma of being at a train station and parents saying goodbye. I've heard stories where some parents changed their mind in the last moment and yanked their children back. They just couldn't take the separation. Each child had a number around their neck. My mother's number was 158 so that they would be recognized, the numbers, according to the the lists when they arrived in London at Liverpool Station, where the Jewish Refugee Agency, which is now World Jewish Relief, uh, would uh, gather them and then assign them to the particular housing where they were going to go. And you said that you had two sisters, and you, your... your My mother had two sisters. Your mother had two sisters. Yes. So eventually, did they all go, or what happened? Well, that's when I don't like to give the story away because it's part of the drama on the stage and it's also part of the drama in the book of how, uh, what happened to Lisa? Was she ever reunited with her family? Who survived? And I must say that uh, when I go out on stage and tell the story through the uh, theatrical production, you can hear the gasps in the audience when you come towards the end of the show to discover the truth of what happened. And your mother... Uh, at 14, was she an accomplished pianist already? She was a child prodigy who studied with Professor Isserlis, who was the great uh, pianist there in Vienna. And um, when, of course, the Nazis came in and uh, the Anschluss and all of the, the new laws and whatnot, you know, it, Jewish children couldn't, stud- couldn't study any longer. And um, so the, the dream was sort of cut short for her in, in Vienna. So let's hear your next choice of music, which is one of the Chopin Nocturnes. That was a Nocturne in B-flat major by Frederick Chopin, the choice of Mona Golubek, who's my guest in People of Note tonight. Your mother, you mentioned, taught you the piano. And this is, this is not always so common that a mother teaches her own child the piano. Uh, Obviously, those lessons went well because you have fond memories of them. 
those lessons were magical because they it wasn't just black notes on white paper and you know doing your scales da 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 and your intervals and 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 I can't tell you how many countless times people come backstage after my performances and say if only I had listened to my parents and kept practicing my piano or my instruments I regret that I let it go and I think in part because maybe the way we all we all know about the typical piano lesson you know the teacher there with the metronome or the ruler on the hands or what not but my mother was different because she told me stories. And when you make music come alive through a story, I think that's why popular music is so popular, <laughs> if we should uh, use that term, because uh, the rock music and all of these things, they tell stories. Uh, the stories of loss and love and um, life. And that's what she did for me. Every piece became a story through, about her life in a way, or other pieces became stories about the great composers and what they were trying to do. Um, the other part of the equation was that I knew she had gone through something very traumatic. I knew something had affected her so deeply. And as a child of refugees, because I am a, the daughter of, of two refugees that came to America, or the daughter of those that have suffered losses in life, you feel things very deeply. You, your heart is opened up in a way that other children maybe not, maybe would not experience. So I think I felt a sense of wanting to take that pain away, wanting to soothe her through the music, and so I excelled. Uh, I, there's a joke in the family that when I was born and my mother brought me home from the hospital, she brought me quickly over to the spinet that was in the place where they lived to stretch my fingers to see how quickly I could stretch into a Rachmaninoff prelude. <laughs> <laughs> and Rachmaninoff, of course, had giant hands. Yeah. Yes, right. So I, I think in many ways my sister and I came along to fulfill the dreams, the dream that was cut short. And you are one of two sisters. Yes. And are both of you pianists? Yes. My sister, whom I lost, was an extraordinary pianist. We did a lot of duo piano performances together, a lot of recordings. We did a, a very celebrated recording of the Carnival of the Animals uh, in America that became a very bestseller with the voices of Charlton Heston and Betty White and Audrey Hepburn and uh, uh, Ted Danson, and uh, um, hilariously, I, just as a sort of an aside to this whole story, I remember that nobody wanted to read the jackass uh, of the Ogden Nash lyrics. So Betty White, who's a staunch animal rights protector, said, okay, I'll read the jackass. <laughs> of course, Charlton Heston insisted that he had to be the lion. <laughs> well, let's hear an excerpt from The Carnival of the Animals by Saint-Saëns. That was part of the Carnival of the Animals by Camille Saint-Saëns and the choice of Mona Golubek, who's telling us the story of her upbringing and her life as the daughter of a refugee from Vienna. Have you been back to Vienna? I've been back several times. My very first time I went back with my sister. We walked down Franz in Brückenstrasse, where my mother grew up, right near the Prater. And we walked into the building, and in the most amazing experience, we met a very elderly lady, and through the translator, we heard that she remembered a little girl that used to play the piano before the war. So you can imagine our emotions, and we called our mother, 
to tell her that, and we were all crying. I went back a few other times, and then because of the success of the show and the book as it began to to grow in the last uh, decade, I came to the attention of the Austrian government, an extraordinary diplomat in in New York by the name of of, um, Waltrid Denhardt, uh, came to see the show in New York when I was doing it. She brought me to the attention of the Austrian government, and one thing led to the other. The German translation came out of the book, and then they brought me back to Vienna, where I made my debut in the Musikverein, performing this story for thousands of students. That's a wonderful story. Um, And your mother, did she go on continuing with the piano? Did she become a concert pianist herself? Well, she made her debut in London. She did fulfill that dream. Uh, the story is how she got a scholarship to study with Mabel Floyd. It's a, it's a fantastic story of how, against all odds, she kept her music because what she remembered that her mother told her at the train station, which is the reason I wrote the book, because my mother always told me this growing up, was that at that tumultuous, chaotic scene at the Wesponhof train station, when they were saying goodbye, her mother took her face in her hands and said, you must make me a promise that you will hold on to your music and I'll be with you every step of the way through the music. So my mother never forgot that during the Blitz and during the war. And uh, she kept her music in her heart, uh, made her debut. But then you skip ahead many years and after the war and discoveries of losses and all kinds of things, uh, immigrating to America, very poor and whatnot. She was not able to go on as in, in the career, and that's why I said that my sister and I came along to fulfill that dream. And just to pick up on another strand, which you mentioned, was that she, the, her husband was also a refugee, um, and that obviously did they meet in England or America, or where did they meet? Well, again, I don't want to give away the story, but I think for the sake of your uh, listeners, my father was born in uh, Poland, Lomża, near Bialystok, in a very well-to-do Jewish family in a small village. And what was the um, custom was often to send children to France to study. So he was sent to a boarding school in Montpellier. When the war broke out, he lied about his age and joined the resistance. He became a uh, he became one of the highest decorated Jewish officers in the French resistance, receiving the Croix de Guerre from General Charles de Gaulle himself. His dream was to become a doctor, but all of that was cut short. And he, after the war, discovered that most of his family was gone, except for two brothers. The plan was to immigrate to Australia. Many Jewish people did that. But then he saw my mother in concert, and he fell in love with her. He changed the course of his life and followed her to America. You mentioned earlier Rachmaninoff and testing your mother's hands, or your, was it your hands? My hands. Your hands. Yes. Well, here comes the prelude in C-sharp minor by Sergei Rachmaninoff. That was the prelude in C-sharp minor by Sergei Rachmaninoff, the choice of Mona Golubek, who's my guest in People of Note. One of the... Uh, interesting things is that the title of the book is called The Children of Wilsden Lane. Just what is the background to that title? Wilsden Lane is the street in Wilsden Green in the northern part of London that became the center of many of the Jewish hostels 
uh, of this rescue operation. It was a, quite a Jewish population there. And 243 Wilsden Lane was the exact address of the hostel where my mother ended up with 30 other Jewish refugee children from all uh, countries in Europe run by a German Jew, more German than Jewish, Mrs. Cohen, who had a blind son named Hans who had been blinded in, an, in a Nazi brawl in uh, Berlin, who got out, uh, was placed to run this hostel, probably shocked out of her mind, to deal with 30 kids. And my mother would often tell me of that moment that she arrived to the hostel. Because it was a very dramatic story. She didn't go straight to the hostel when she first arrived in London. She was sent near Brighton into a holding camp and then to a place that she called Peacock Manor, which was like a castle in her dreams where she became a, a lady's maid and a, and a seamstress. But when she ultimately got to Wilsden Lane and walked up those steps into the hostel, she didn't notice the kids that were chattering. She didn't notice, she didn't really hear the cook that was singing in the kitchen preparing the Shabbat meal. My mother told me all she saw was a familiar object in the corner of the living room, the piano. And she walked over. She lifted up the lid. She tried to play those notes of the Greek, da, 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 but she couldn't hit the notes. She was hitting all the wrong notes. But then she remembered the slow movement of the Greek piano concerto, the second movement the beautiful theme, and she sat down and played that. That was the second movement from the Grieg Piano Concerto, and that was part of the story of Mona Golubek's mother, Lisa Jura, and that's what we're hearing about in People of Note tonight here on Classic 1027. Mona, I noticed that there's quite a lot of Beethoven in your choice of music here, and the, the pathetique sonata and the Moonlight Sonata appear quite often. Of course, Beethoven wrote a lot of these pieces in Vienna, so there's obviously a strong connection there. Yes, and when I do this, when I do the show for students across America and now in England, and uh, what is so thrilling for me is to do it now for nearly 10,000 students here in uh, Johannesburg and Cape Town in this fantastic project that we're doing here, uh, partnered with these great Holocaust genocide centers, both in Johannesburg and Cape Town. When I get to the Beethoven, which is a moment where she goes to have her piano lesson with her teacher, I try to tell the students, listen to the Moonlight Sonata, S hear these notes. This almost takes you back to a another time in history, the old world. Of Vienna. Just imagine you're in the professor's studio and you hear those notes of the Beethoven. It, it, it really is a time of elegance and uh, just a, a, a beautiful world that is now gone to us. And Vienna, of course, was a beautiful city and the center of an incredible empire where music was very popular and happened a lot I mean, many composers and performers were drawn to Vienna because of the great cultural life. It was the center, Mozart, Beethoven, uh, you know, Schubert, I mean, all the great composers, Mahler. Brahms. And my mother yeah. was brought up on that history, and when she would, when she would ride on the trolley for her piano lessons, go going past the music Verein, she imagined all of this music. She imagined making her debut. She was obviously quite a dreamer. Yes. Yeah, well, she got lost in the music. The music saved her life. And, and music has this great healing power anyway. And I'm sure you've, you've experienced that yourself, and I'm sure your mother experienced that, that music has this power 
to heal and to comfort. And I think it's in part why we are having such wonderful success with this show and this whole project, because we're telling a story through the music. And it's the secret arrow that enters the heart. And so let's listen to Love's Dream, Liebestraum. This is Liebestraum number three, or Liebestraum number three, by Franz Liszt. I'm talking to Mona Golobek, whose mother was a refugee from Vienna, and she was a child on the kinder transport, which took children from Vienna and, I guess, other parts of Germany to Britain at the time. And she ended up in Wilsden Lane. And the book that you've written is called The Children of Wilsden Lane. I'm quite interested to know what prompted you to write the book, because obviously you're, you're quite a storyteller yourself, but writing a book is another type of story. Yes. Yeah, I wrote a book, and I'm never going to write another book again. <laughs> Was it hard work? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So challenging. Um, as I shared with you at the beginning of our uh, story together, I, I woke up one day engaged to play the Greek piano concerto, and I thought, wow, this is the piece that she told me about. I thought maybe if I could get a movie out there, maybe if I could write a book, I could inspire so many young people to the powerful messages in the story. First of all, what did my what do you what do you hold on to when you're faced with an extraordinary challenge in life? That's a very important message for everyone. The second, which I think is the greater message, is what's our purpose here on earth? Because I always say this is a story of man's humanity to man. I'm alive today because of a decision that was made by that generation to save 10,000 Jewish children. We see in the world today the greatest refugee crisis in the history of mankind. I mean, this is an exploding tragedy, what is going on. And we see the continuing genocides. So we can't become immune to this. And I think with television and the Internet and whatnot, our daily existence is bombarded by so many global things that are happening that we are all becoming either immune uh, of course, I, I don't quite mean that, but we're becoming, it's, it's almost exhausting. It's hitting us in every way, and we can't afford to do that. We have to figure out a way to, um, to fight all of this and to get to a better place. So in my own humble way, I wanted to write this book. And I tell young people and I tell my audiences across the world now, you're looking at someone who had a dream and never gave up. I went through challenging uh, defeats. Uh, turndowns, um, and in the most extraordinary way possible, I got the book published because I never gave up. And then people began to believe in the message. People of great prominence who had foundations in America, educational foundations, and they said, this is quite a cross-curriculum book that can teach many messages across many uh, history and social studies and civics helped me to bring this book into curriculum across America. And what was particularly fascinating was to see students such as African-American students cheering the story of a Jewish teenager in World War II. They related to it because they were told the stories of their legacies and the horrific chapter in our history in America of slavery. Um, they could, uh, Hispanic uh, students could relate to this very deeply from what their parents and grandparents told us, uh, told them. Uh, so many refugees that came from uh, Thailand and Burma uh, that came to see the shows across America would speak to me about what, what Lisa's 
guts and strength and willpower and the decision of Malka and Abraham to send her away meant to them. So this has become the greatest privilege of my life, to see this book become uh, um, a lightning rod. And when we talk about the word Wilsdon, Wilsdon Lane now and Wilsdon Green is a new center for refugees in England, but not Jewish refugees. They are from Pakistan. They are from other countries now that have come. And my goal and my dream now with seeing the book in nearly nine languages and now more translations to come and God willing, a movie, which we've just sold the book for a, a major feature film, I hope that this will become a message, Wilsden Lane, for uh, people of, of great heart across the world. And of course, here in South Africa, we have a great refugee problem also uh, from uh, West Africa, from Zimbabwe, from East Africa, Somalia. Uh, the whole of Africa seems to be on the move, actually, one way or another, as I'm sure Europe was uh, before the Second World War too, and particularly after the Second World War, because the story didn't end. Uh, the, the refugee story is an ongoing drama, and we've had, uh, in South Africa, as you know, they're called the Holocaust and Genocide Centers, right. and we've had horrific genocides in Africa as well, in Rwanda, ongoing war in the Congo and Sudan. It's just, it's a never-ending story now of refugees and people in trouble. And the music is what brings us all together. So your next choice is a prelude by Frederick Chopin, prelude in E minor. That was the prelude in E minor by Frederick Chopin, the choice of Mona Golubek, an American concert pianist and author who is in South Africa uh, doing a uh, a storytelling, really. It's not a show, it's a storytelling. And Africa, of course, loves stories because it's a great storytelling place. With our oral tradition here, stories are where it all happens in Africa, which is really important. So you'll find a good reception for all your stories here. Thank you. Now, uh, tell us a little more about yourself because uh, do you also do standard recitals as a musician, or is this what you do now, is tell your story? So for many years, I have been a concert pianist. I have performed, I've had the privilege of performing uh, all over the world uh, with many wonderful conductors. I've made a lot of recordings. But when my path crossed with an extraordinary producer artist by the name of Hershey Felder, in America, and I told him I had a dream to bring this to the stage. He took my uh, sort of uh, synopsis and my uh, prototype, and he developed it and adapted it for the stage into a theatrical production. And that's called The Pianist of Wilsden Lane. We opened in Los Angeles at the Geffen Playhouse. We were only supposed to go a month, but we went a half a year. It became so popular, the show. And then he took a chance on me and, and brought me to Chicago, New York, we did two runs in London. Uh, we've been um, really all over uh, America. And the success of the show, The Pianist of Wilsden Lane, which is the 90-minute theatrical production, led to the growth of the foundation and the educational mission. I would often open in a city, and then I would come back and do these massive citywide reads. We just did it for 12,000 students in Los Angeles at the Music Center. We just did it for 14,000 students in Pittsburgh. 
uh, and ironically following the shooting at the temple there, the Temple of of Life. Uh, We are about to do it in New York at Town Hall and the United Nations uh, for thousands of students. We're going to do it in the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. We're going to Atlanta. We're going to Boston. Massive citywide reads where students like what's happening here in Johannesburg and Cape Town read the book, study the book, create projects around the book, including videos, poetry, their own uh, essays regarding it. And then they're bussed in to greet and meet the daughter of the heroine that they've been studying in an abridged version of the show. Um, and uh, that is the that is probably my greatest mission. So when you ask the question, am I performing now with in a traditional manner? No, because this has so taken over my life. But always your story is interspersed with music. Exactly. You playing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you have siblings? You have a sister. Yes. I, as I as I mentioned to you before, I have a, I did have a beautiful yeah, yes. sister whom I lost. We lost her at a young age, and I stepped in and raised her four beautiful children. So they're they're my children, and they made me very proud. They carry on the legacy of their grand. Mother, they're all on the board of the foundation. Um, they all play an instrument. They feel deeply for music. Uh, but the two eldest are lawyers, so I call upon them for all the legal advice. <laughs> and the boy is a musician, quite a talented young man, violinist. And uh, and then the young girl, the youngest, she's trying to figure out where her life's going. <laughs> but the story of the music is going on now. Absolutely. Through the... Yes. What are they now? The grandchildren of your mother. Yes, yes. right. And, uh, and and certainly I hope one day, because I certainly can't do this forever, that there will be other young people that will take over. And uh, I, I'm particularly thrilled, and I want to share that I'm a, I'm embarking on a ambitious partnership with the USC Shoah Foundation, which is the foundation formed by Steven Spielberg, um, who, of course, of the great filmmaker. And we're going to launch a tremendous platform uh, that will also house the concert, the performances uh, through discovery education, bring it to students across the world so that they can uh, go online and they can see this story and they can see this performance because I can't go everywhere. Have you made, uh, for example, a TV production of this show? Mr. Felder uh, produced a DVD where we filmed on the stage of the Berkeley Repertory Theater. Uh, but we have not released that at all yet on television because right now, contractually, uh, having sold the book now to a fantastic studio that will bring out the movie, that will first come out with actors playing the roles, a, a dramatic feature film in in the theaters. And then subsequently, we will release a documentary and the DVD of the play. And just a matter of interest, did your mother record her story ever? No. She did not. No. So everything is is kind of in my heart and in the book. Now, the book is loosely based on her story. We've combined characters, We've and we say that in the preface. Uh, some of the characters asked for their names to be changed when I went and interviewed them. So, um, But it's all really was in my heart and the memories that I had as a child and then when I interviewed her uh, in the subsequent years. So let's listen now to part of the sonata in B-flat major by Chopin. This is your next choice of music. You were just talking about your uh, 
sister's children, the, the grandchildren of your mother, and you mentioned there off-air that there was a reunion of kinder transport uh, children. Well, they can't be children anymore. They must be uh, very old people if they're still alive. Yeah. At the 60th reunion of the kinder transport in London, including the fact that Rich, the director, Richard Attenborough, was there and speaking because his family housed two of the kinder transport uh, refugees, if you can It's really rather amazing. Um, we went, my sister and I, and her eldest two girls to London. And Sarah went on the BBC radio and in the sweetest voice possible, I think she must have been, I don't know how old she was, nine, ten years old, she uttered uh, these words saying that she would never forget the story and she would pay tribute always to the legacy. Well, let's listen to that. Dear Kinder, I'm Sarah, Lisa's other granddaughter. I am one of the youngest people at the 60th reunion. But I promise all of you that I will never forget your courageous story. And I will tell my children and the generations to come. That was Sarah Golobek-Goldman, niece of Mona Golobek, who's my guest in People of Note, talking about her memories and, I guess, of her grandmother and how she experienced that whole scene. And we're sort of coming to the end of the program now, and I just thought perhaps we should go back to the very beginning and play perhaps the final movement from the Grieg piano concerto just to round the program off because obviously that Grieg piano concerto has played a very important part in your life and in your mother's life and in the life of this story. You know it's interesting that I must share with you when I did a little research on Grieg I found out that in the 19th century during the um, the French Jacques, the Dreyfus affair, I, I can't remember now the name of the soldier, uh, but it was a Jewish officer that was... the uh, Dreyfus. Yeah, Dreyfus, yes, yes yeah. who was accused. And then uh, Emile Zola uh, did, the, uh, did this extraordinary uh, um, op-ed, you know, in the, in the newspapers. Grieg was invited to come and conduct the Paris Opera, and he refused. He was so upset about what had happened to this Jewish officer. And until Dreyfus was acquitted and reinstated then Grieg accepted to come back. And I've often thought about, wow, look, the Grieg, the great composer, did he, he stood up for this Jewish soldier that was innocently accused. So it gives an added uh, feeling to me of the triumph of that last movement. And also the triumph of that last movement really relates to my mother's triumph. In the end, she walked out on that stage. In the end, she kept her promise to her mother. That was the final movement of the Grieg Piano Concerto, which has played such a major part in the life of Mona Golobek and of her mother, whose name was Lisa Jura, and she was put on a train from Vienna to London uh, in 1938, and that was the beginning of the story of the children of Wilsden Lane, which is the book which Mona Golobek has now written, and I just want to say thank you for coming into the studio. It was a true honor to be with you. Thank you. And it's a true honor for us that you've come to South Africa to tell the story and 
and keep it alive because we must never forget these amazing stories that have come out of history. It's sort of a living history in a way. And thank you for coming, and I hope you have a fantastic tour around South Africa and that you continue to spread this amazingly inspiring story of the children of Wilsdon Lane.